Hey everybody, welcome to the Full Frame uh, Podcast. Could you just oh. uh, just uh, take, stop and take it from the top one more time. Okay, okay, you ready? Alex, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. I it has been real. I'm really excited to have you on, and uh, I'm excited for what we're about to delve into and talk about. So thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, man. It's, a, it's an honor, sir. So we have a ton that we're going to get into, but I'm sure. But um, let's just start with at the basics of where are you from and how did you get into film? Uh, I uh, I'm from originally from the South Florida area in Miami, like the Miami Fort Lauderdale area. So that's where I was ba- basically raised between there and New York City. And uh, I I got into the film business because I was a video store geek. I uh, got a job at a video store right before high school. I was there for uh, pretty much through eighth grade, uh, working illegally. Uh, then, <laughs> then when I finally turned 16, I got you know I started work legally, and uh, I did that for about five years. And during those five years of working at the video store, I actually fell in love with movies in a deep, deep way. And I would watch, I mean, I'm there's no exaggeration, probably 15 to 20 movies a, a week because I would just run movies at the video store while I was working. So I was always watching movies. I was always, you know, I'd watch three, four, five movies a weekend. I had no life, so it was uh, was fine for me. (laughs) Uh, But that's where I kind of fell in love with movies. And then I I was, I I used to watch these things called Laserdisc. uh, Yes, Laserdisc, which I've heard of them. Yes, you've heard of them. Stop it. (laughs) Um, but, uh, the laser disc had director commentary. And that was when I was first listening to like Martin Scorsese and uh, Kurosawa and Hitchcock and and Truffaut and all of these guys talked through their movies. And it was the first time that, that, that kind of education had ever been released to the public. And you have to remember when I was coming up in the nineties, late eighties, early nineties, there was very little information about the making of movies. Mm -hmm. I know it's hard to believe, but. You know, other than the occasional Raiders of the Lost Ark making of VHS that would pop by or the Star Wars, you know, behind the scenes, you know, documentaries. Right. There wasn't a tremendous amount about the filmmaking process. So I was ravenous for information and Laserdiscs, uh, specifically the Criterion Collection Laserdiscs, were uh, a treasure trove of just amazing education. And so I, I really fell in love with movies at that point and then just went to film school uh, in Orlando. Uh, and I went there for about a year, got my, my associate, uh, specialized associate's degree in film and television, ah. which means absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I've never once shown it to anybody, nor have I ever been asked for it. Uh, so anyone listening, if you think you have to go to film school, you don't. Um, but uh, I did that and I, and I just kind of uh, fell uh, I interned at a production house down in Miami, worked there for uh, about a year before I, I branched out into becoming an editor, freelance editor. Okay. And I, I basically got my start in post-production. And I've been in post for most of my career as a multiple areas in post-production from editor to colorist to post-supervisor, VFX supervisor, and so on. And uh, But my goal was always directing. So within a few years after out of school, I started directing commercials, music videos, um, short films. Uh, corporate work, even series, television series and things like that. So, uh, but my dream was always to do a feature film and we could talk about how, why it took me so long to do my first feature in a minute, but that's basically how I got my start. And, and then we can get into indie film hustle and all that stuff later. 
Yeah. Well, what, so let's talk about some of those experiences as during in post-production, like as you were working, what were key lessons that you kind of, that you learned there that you brought into your directing later on and in indie film hustle? What was, and what was that life like for you? Well, editing, I, I, I it was just something I gravitated to because I was, I was just inherently good at it. So I, mm -hmm. could, I knew I could make a living doing it. And I'm a very techie kind of guy. I'm a, I'm a weird creative slash techie guy, uh, slash entrepreneurial guy. So I, I have a, a unique blend of skills and editing just kind of, I just fell in love with it. So one thing that editing taught me, and I think all directors should do some sort of editing in their lifetime, is that you become much, it becomes much clearer to you what you actually need to yeah. tell the story. So when you're on set, you're not wasting your time uh, shooting a thousand different angles and takes because you know what you really, you're already cutting it in your head. So right. when I'm direct, I'm editing the scene in my head as I'm shooting, I'm like, okay, I'm going to cut from here. Then I'm going to stop there. I'm going to cut from here. Boom, boom, boom. And I, it just makes things a lot more economical. And in the world that we're going, that we're in and going towards economical is where the future is being these fat bloated budgets are not where the industry is going. Everything right. is actually shrinking because there's so much more competition and so much more content out there. The days of, you know, you're either the middle ground is gone. You know, it's like kind of like the middle class in America. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. You're either super rich or you're just making it. And before there used to be 20, 30, $40 million movies. And are there still every once in a while, but not by the studios. Right. So now it's either you're really, you know, you're basically 3 million and below or you're 60, 70 million and above. Mm. And that's kind of where the world is going. But for the rest of us, we're not, I'm not in the 70 plus club just yet. So I'm more in the 3 million. I'm actually more in the much lower budgets than that. But that is where everything is going. So understanding how to become economical while you direct is so, so imperative. But that's one of the biggest lessons I learned uh, as an editor is how to become economical as a director. And also just uh, the politics of, of filmmaking. You learn a lot sitting in a room with producers and directors and investors over the course of your career because you hear everything. All the meetings are being talked about, all, you know, all the distribution deals, all the, I, I would just hear everything. It was like being a fly on the wall. So it was a wonderful education for me because I got an inside look at what a, what a successful film looks like, what an absolute disaster looks like, what egos do to films, um, what, what e ego, egotistical filmmakers, how they completely crash and burn most of the time, mm -hmm. uh, how humble filmmakers and people who are really smart and kind sometimes get destroyed, other times they flourish. I just was watching, it's almost like, a, it was almost like watching, um, like I was at a, I hate to use the term, it's kind of like walking into a museum or a zoo and you're seeing like, you know, the animals behind the glass window or the, yeah. you know, the subject behind the glass window. Cause I was just, I was front row seat right. to all of this. So all of the, and this, I'm talking about 20 years of this. So I was able to, you know, even on a subconscious level, I was starting to grasp a lot of these concepts that would help me in the future with what I've been able to build uh, since then. How did Indie Film Hustle come about? Well, in 2015, or actually in 2014, I was in the third year of my um, olive oil and vinegar empire that I was building. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I got so de de delusioned by the film business that I kind of left the business for a little bit. I didn't leave it completely. I still did jobs here and there, but I kind of uh, wanted to start something new. So I opened up a gourmet shop here in Los Angeles and I became, uh, my company was the largest. Yeah, I know, dude, don't even get me started. No, no, no. It's just funny hearing you talk about it, having heard you, he having heard in your <laughs> podcast episodes, you talk about it beforehand. So it's just funny to hear you come back around to it. Oh, I, I'm not ashamed of it. I think it was like, I, 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 I wear my failures on my sleeves. I mean, with, I, I don't hide from any time I fail because you fail, you, you learn. Right. And, and even while I was failing at that, I was still learning immense amounts about business, about marketing, about products, about revenue streams, about employees. And every, it was just a really great education, very painful, but great. So I, um, and we could, we could talk about olive oil and vinegar a whole other time if you like. That's for my <laughs> other food podcast that I'll bring you on yeah. to later down the and, line. And, dude, trust me, when I bring that up to people, people are like, you did what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude. And it wasn't like I did it small because if anybody knows or follows me knows that I don't do anything small. Yes. Uh, so when I did it, that was the largest olive oil and vinegar tasting gourmet shop in Los Angeles. Oh my God. On Ventura Boulevard, right by, you know, right by in Studio City. It was a big, it was a huge, huge, <laughs> uh, ridiculously overpriced uh, facility, sir. Uh, so uh, during that time, I was, uh, I was going through a little bit of a crisis. And there was a book that was in my Amazon wish list, which was called Four we uh, The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. And it was one of those books that just had that title. So you're like, well, I want to work four hours a week. That would be right. fantastic. So I picked up that book and it was the first time that I understood that you can make money online. And, 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 it, and it's weird for me to say that because I actually was making money online in the, in the, in the 90s. I had, wow. you know, I, had, I had websites, but it was a different world back then. So, you know, I was selling advertising for, you know, some entertainment websites that I was running, but, it, you know, the server costs, you know, we would make four or five grand a month, but we, it would cost us four or five grand a month just to run the damn business. So right. it was really, but it just wasn't the world that we live in today. So I, I've known how to make money online, but I guess I'd forgotten or I, I talked myself out of that. I can't do that. This was the first time again that it was reignited inside of me. I'm like, maybe I can do this. So I, after, after reading that book, I devoured probably 20, 30, 40 books uh, on, on the subject of online businesses, marketing, uh, online marketing strategies, uh, business, every, every single thing I can get my hands on, including online courses. I just, when I go into something, I go into big, just like when I went to olive oil, I read 30 books on olive oil. But uh, <laughs> again, if you want to know about a good olive oil bottle, I can tell you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll get we'll get Alex's olive oil recommendations at the end of the show. Fantastic, anytime, sir. So uh, after that, I um, I decided to uh, you know start to kind of do a side hustle. I wanted to open up a, an online business. So while I had this olive oil business going on, I I decided that I'm going to open up a business. And I was a, a complete idiot and said, hey, you know, I'm going to be the jelly bean guy. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna be a, like a thought leader in jelly beans. And not exactly jelly beans, but something equivalent to that ridiculousness. Right. And I, I was like, yeah, I'll build, you know, I'll start creating content. I don't even like jelly beans. So I was like, yeah, I'll do this. I'll do that. And my wife turns to me and she's like, what? You're an idiot. Do something in film. But I'd been so burnt by the film business at this point 
that the like my body, my my subconscious was like, don't go back in there. You only get hurt when you're in the film business. Uh, on a subconscious level, it really was. So I yeah. finally realized, I'm like, you know what? I've, I've got the street credibility in film that I just don't have in Jelly Bean. So um, I, I opened up Indie Film Hustle. I launched Indie Film Hustle. And it was launched as an online business. But behind the business, there was a true mission to help filmmakers. Because I just, you know, when I started investigating the the space, the, you know, online space to help filmmakers, you know, with podcasts and websites, I truly didn't see anything or anybody putting out information that was from the street level. Right. You know, from the, from the trenches, really. I just saw people talking about it and, oh, this is nice and I've done this, I've done that. But no one who's really got shrapnel, no one who's really got scarring right. like I did. So I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to come out there. I'm going to be as honest as humanly possible. And I want people to really understand the ins and outs of this business so they don't get destroyed by it. Because I've been beaten up so much and I've got so much shrapnel on me, um, you know, that I just, I didn't want other filmmakers to have to go through that. So I, I launched Indie Film Hustle and within a couple of weeks, I launched the podcast and uh, the Indie Film Hustle podcast. And within three months, the Indie Film Hustle podcast became the number one filmmaking podcast on iTunes because I'm insane. <laughs> and I just kept putting out so much content. I, nothing has changed, obviously. I do four podcasts a week now. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is stupid. And, and I don't advise it to anybody, but it works for me for some strange reason. But I, I just kept pounding the content. So literally with, within 30 days, I was already getting 30, 40,000 people coming to my website. Wow. You know, which is insane because I was relentless. I mean, I just was pounding it so much, so much so that other people in the space, other podcasters, other blogs, they started to, they literally just messaged me and they're like, who the hell are you? Right, Where did right. you come from? Because you remember I was, uh, I was an olive oil mogul. So I was not <laughs> in the business right. at all. So it wasn't like, Oh, this is Alex. He's been in the business. I was like, I was starting from zero. Nobody in the business really remembered who I was from my early days, you know, selling a short film that I got a lot of press for back in 2005. That was almost a decade prior. So there was nobody, I, I was starting from, I had no Facebook following. I had no Instagram. I had nothing. I started from zero and I exploded within three to four months and then just kept growing and growing and growing ever since. But the mission is, is changed. It's intensified as I've gone through these four years with Indie Film Hustle, where I've become much, even much more passionate about helping filmmakers, being um, a champion of the filmmaker and educating them in ways that are just not available elsewhere. Right. And my podcast has become, uh, I wanted to become the online resource for independent filmmakers for free. Right. You know, I don't sell that. I don't make money other than, you know, sponsors and things like that, of course, through my podcast, but I don't, it's free. I mean, some of these podcast episodes, I can easily sell for 50 bucks. Right. I mean, seriously, you know, if I'm sitting down with a leading, you know, venture capitalist who deals with how to, hey, how would you like to be pitched? What are you looking for in projects? Would you pay 50 bucks for that episode? Like for me to talk for an hour and a half and listen to me ask every single question that you might be wanting to know about how to raise money. Yeah. I could easily sell that, but I don't, I give it away. And it's because I am extremely passionate about, uh, about helping filmmakers. And that's what Indie Film Hustle 
And then Bulletproof Screenwriting, which is the, the next company I opened up uh, helping screenwriters. And then now more recently, Filmtrepreneur, which is a whole other website and company that I've opened up to, to help filmmakers understand the business side of the business, which yeah. has become more entrepreneurial in, in nature. Let's talk about that because one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on and talk to you, but the, one of the other reasons I have people like Joshua Caldwell, um, who you've talked mm -hmm. to, as well as uh, Michael Pfeiffer a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. um, talking to them about there seems to be with the budget, you know, the budget's getting smaller and whatnot. What I'm trying to connect the DC indie film industry with is there seems to be kind of a model that I'm seeing of filmmakers who uh, it's connected kind of to the corporate video industry out here, I see, but these lower budgets, filmmakers just being able to go out and use these lower budgets, the indie film hustle and the new website and the new book um, are really kind of pointing at that. So let's get into that and let's talk about that. How did all of that come about? How did the new book come about? Well, I, I, um, I wrote my first book, Shooting for the Mob, which is more of a, an origin story of how I became as grizzled as I am. And we could talk about that book later. But after I wrote that, I was, which was released in March of this year, and of course it was June, I was like, I'm bored. I need to write another book because I'm crazy that way. And I started writing this book because I wanted to create... Um, I've been learning so much. Let me take it back for a second. I've been interviewing so many people. I mean, I'm, I'm at almost 400 episodes yeah. of, of the main podcast. So I've, I've interviewed just hundreds, literally hundreds of people in the industry at the top of their game. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big student of the industry. I'm constantly watching, learning, looking for trends, looking for what's going on. I'm trying to see what's ahead of the curve. And what I realized was, that the future for independent filmmaking is going to be entrepreneurial filmmaking, yeah. being a film entrepreneur. That is the future. The old legacy model that has been brought upon us for hundred, you know, over a hundred years, and more recently in the last fifty or sixty years, where independent filmmakers could only make money with by selling or giving away their 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 movie to a distributor, and in hopes and pray that they actually will make any money with it. That model is not designed for us. That model is designed to keep more money in the distributor's pocket. That's straight up, there's no BS in that. They mm -hmm. are a business and they're trying to take as much money as they can and give you as little as they can because that is the business they are in, Right. period. So filmmakers who are uneducated, which are most filmmakers are uneducated in the distribution process, in the business side of the, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the industry, they're not educated on it. And these predatory distributors would take advantage of them. And there's more, I mean, I could talk about predatory distributors for hours, but that, that model I saw was broken. It was just broken. And there was a distributor that I was talking to the other day and uh, a, a few months ago, and he said, and I, I, I quote this, he told me, well, you're lucky you even got a check. Most filmmakers don't even get checks from distributors. Right. This was the defense of this distributor. And I got so upset because it's such an ingrained, almost like it's such a, an infection in right. the industry that that is the norm. That is just the norm. It is something that needs to be brought out into the light. And that's what I've been, it's, be, it's become my goal to do. So with the film entrepreneur 
brand, which is the company that I opened up, which has the website from entrepreneur.com, a YouTube channel, as well as a, a book and a podcast. That whole, that whole movement that I'm trying to create, and it is a movement. I'm trying to create a movement with the film entrepreneur. I want film entrepreneurs to be the next generation. That is going to be the next generation of filmmakers because if, if filmmakers do not understand the business, you will not survive in this industry. Yeah. Period. Period. And that goes for documentary as well as narrative. It's, I understand documentaries are more about causes and things like that. But in my book, I, I have tons of case studies of documentaries with wonderful uh, missions who are multi-million dollar businesses and have been able to push their message out into the world in a way that you couldn't of 10 years ago. Right. Because they used the film entrepreneur method. I mean, they did this obviously before I wrote this book or even came up with this whole, this whole method, but they were doing that method. I was doing that method in 2005 with my first short film. And the yeah. method is basically this. Most filmmakers try to, when, they, when, they're, when they're aiming at a target, which is an audience, they generally use the shotgun approach, which is to try to scatter and hit as large of an audience as humanly possible. That is mistake number one that filmmakers make because mm. you as an independent filmmaker cannot hit a broad audience. It is a rarity. It is an anomaly if it happens and when it happens. Right. Okay. It's a lottery ticket. It does not happen often, if ever. And I could probably count on one hand in the last 20 years how often that happens. It just doesn't happen. So filmmakers like, I'm going to make a romantic comedy with no stars attached. I'm going to hire my friends. I'm going to spend $300,000 on that. Yeah. They're dead. They're right. dead. They're done. They'll never make their money back. The investor will never invest in movies again. And they probably will never make a movie again as a filmmaker because they're done. Right. That was their shot and they lost it. Now, I, use the, I always use the example of the vegan chef movie, which I call Crazy Sexy Vegan. Okay, <laughs> so let's just call, I'm going to create a movie called Crazy Sexy Vegan. Now, this is a romantic comedy, but it's about a vegan chef who meets a barbecue champion uh, a girl and she eats meat, obviously. Right. And they, and they fall in love and chaos ensues. All right, so now... Look at the way that that story has changed. I'm still doing a romantic comedy. And arguably, it always helps when you have a face. It always helps when you have a movie star or right. some sort of recognized face in it. Always, always. I don't care what you, wh who, you, who tells you different, it doesn't matter. If you've got a face in there, it's a good thing. If you've got a, a, a main face, even better. Right. But with this, if you make that movie for a smart number, and that's the key point, a smart number, $300,000, is not a smart number. I would say a movie like this could be in the highest end where you're going to have to execute almost perfectly at 100K. Right. But more likely, you could try to pull that movie off of 50K. And it's doable. And I don't want to hear anything. You could shoot it in New York. You could shoot it in LA. You can make that movie happen. Right. Period. Make it happen because I know it because I've made my own movies for five and $3,000. So I know it's possible. Now, once you focus on that, on that niche, which are you, you're niching down. So you're not going after a broad audience. You're going for a smaller audience, a niche audience. Mm -hmm. So now you can go after vegan, vegetarian. People are into plant-based diet, you know, plant-based diet transitions, all that kind of stuff. Right. People in healthy eating. And you could arguably also go after barbecue people, right. meat eaters. 
why not focus on them as well? So depending on what the skew of your movie is, if it's going to be more skewed toward the plant-based lifestyle, or is it going to be more skewed towards the barbecue meat-eating lifestyle? I'm not making any judgments either way. I'm just using this as an example. <laughs> right, so right. In, my, in my example, it's called Crazy Sexy Vegan, so I'm assuming it's going to go more plant-based, okay? And arguably, between those niches, the, the vegans, the vegetarians, and the plant-based people are so much more passionate about what they're doing than the barbecue people that I would focus on a business standpoint on that audience. Okay. Right. So now you're creating a, a film that you can actually target yourself. Now, is this, now the question you have to ask yourself, is this audience, does this audience justify my budget? And that's a question that they, people don't ask. They just go, Oh, I'm just going to make this vegan chef movie and I'm going to spend half a million dollars. No, that right. audience will not support that movie unless you hedge your bets with star power of some sort or sponsorships or there's multiple other ways to make that number work. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, that's too big of a number. You have to do it for a smart number. 5,200,000 to is a smart number. And by the way, even at 5,200,000, to you're going to have to execute perfectly. Right, right. And, and But that is the future. So now you've created a product that is um, a vegan chef movie. Now, how, so a lot of people listening right now, they're like, well, Alex, that's great. You're just finding a niche audience and marketing to them. What's different in your, your method? Well, that's just the beginning with the film entrepreneur method. A film entrepreneur needs to be thinking about movies and about their product and about their art as a business person. Right. So what do you do? You need to create revenue streams, multiple revenue streams that are not dependent on the exploitation of the film itself. And that is so key. That mind shift is where most filmmakers fail. They, they don't make that, that leap because right. they're oh, making this product. This is all I have to sell. This is not a bottle of Coca-Cola. You know, like Coca-Cola as a, as a product, you only make money off the sell of the Coca-Cola. Right. You could arguably also make some sales off the brand of Coca-Cola with t-shirts, hats, and other products. But generally speaking, that's a product with a film. It is a product that you're selling and exploiting itself, but that's just the beginning. Right. Unlike a, unlike a Coke bottle or an olive oil bottle, um, <laughs> you, are, you, you have the potential to use that as a marketing engine to drive sales to other product lines. Right. So why not create a course on vegan chefs, like right. creating recipes for vegan chefs? Why not partner with a celebrity vegan chef who has a large, a large audience that you can cast them in the movie. And hey, why don't we even talk about making online courses in the movie as a plot point? Because that's what the, because the barbecue, and I, I always love ripping about this story. One day, I'm, one day I'm gonna make this movie. Um, everyone says like, why don't you make this movie? I'm like, I'm gonna have to at one point just to yeah. shut everybody up. <laughs> right, but right. Why, why not make, a, why not say in the storyline, that the vegan chef is, is in really bad shape, but the, the barbecue champion, she's an online marketer. And she knows how to do stuff. So she teaches this guy how to create online courses how to sh and starts making money as a vegan chef with online courses. You've now, you've now planted, you're, you're basically um, what's a, a product placing product your product. That you're gonna in your movie. Right, so right. You're priming your audience. Which is a, by the way, that audience, that niche is perfect. This, this specific example doesn't work for all niches. There's other examples in the horror niche, in the thrill, you know, there's other niches in documentaries. There's all other kinds of 
example, so specifically in this example, which that, with, with that audience, the vegans and vegetarians and plant-based guys, those people love and want to know more and, and devour information about plant-based lifestyles. So if you create online courses, cooking books, um, product lines like aprons, hats, whatever else, obviously t-shirts, hats, and other kind of merch is, is low-hanging fruit. Right. But like aprons, and then when you're building out product lines, are you building out product lines? You can only just build out product lines for your movie. So we can, you know, crazy, sexy, vegan. Obviously, that's a great logo. So right. you can put that on apron and people will probably buy it, right? Right. But why not create other product lines of, let's say, aprons, for example, that have nothing to do with your movie, but has everything to do with the audience that you're, you're targeting and have, it, have their attention. So if you're, you really like my movie, would you probably buy a, a, an apron or a t-shirt that says kale rocks, you know, like something that's, right. you know what I'm talking about? So all yeah, of a sudden yeah, kale totally. rocks. And why, why wouldn't you have your character in types of movie wear your kale rocks t-shirt? Right. You see what I'm saying? Huh. And now you're, we're doing this on an indie level. That's what Disney has been doing this for decades. Right. They make money today. Today, they are making money. As we're speaking right now, somebody's buying a Snow White t-shirt somewhere. Right. Someone's yeah. a storybook or buying some sort of product that has Snow White on it. Or oh, God forbid, Mickey Mouse. Jeez. Right. They're still making money off of products that they created almost 100 years ago at this point. Okay? Wow. So you have to look at your films as an independent filmmaker in the same way. Most filmmakers make one movie and they think that is the only time they're going to be up at bat. And they have to hit a home run because I'm going to get rich off of this. And this is going to blow me up. And I'm going to do this, 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 and this. That is the wrong mentality. I call that the lottery ticket mentality. Mm -hmm. It's BS. If you make your movie, you think you're going to get into Sundance. You think you're going to win Sundance. And there's going to be a bidding war that you're going to get $10 million for your movie. And the rest is history. That doesn't happen. It is a lottery ticket. It's one in every five or 10 years, something like that happens. It just yeah. doesn't happen. But that's the story that is sold to all of us. And it's the dream. And trust me. I, I drank that Kool-Aid as well. So much. I even drank that Kool-Aid with my last film. I just did. I drank that Sundance Kool-Aid. Right. And I vowed, I vowed never to donate to Robert Redford's retirement fund again. Never. <laughs> ever again. Unless, uh, unless I do it again. Of course, I'm going to do it. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, who, am I, who am I kidding? If I have a movie, I'm going to probably submit. But you shouldn't that, you know, just understand what it is. It's a donation to Robert Redford's retirement fund. It yeah. is just a donation to the Sundance Institute. You just have to think of it that way. So that mentality of the one-off is what's killing independent filmmakers and killing independent film. You have to think of things like, like Joe Swansburg. Joe Swansburg was a, is a director who at one point was making, he made six features in one year. He's made probably 30 to 40 features. Most of those features you've probably never even heard of. But he was able to make, he'd, he'd make them for five grand. Right. But then he would make 10 or 15 grand off, off one. And then he owns it. So then he keeps making residual income off of that. Now, he wasn't doing a full film entrepreneurial method. He's not doing t shirts, hats, other products like that. He's not, he's just being prolific right. by creating a portfolio of films, which he can then generate revenue from. So that's part of the film entrepreneur model. But I say, why stop there? You can keep going. You can keep doing it depending on the kind of products you're creating. Right. So that is, I feel, the future. And, and again, I, I just one revenue stream was online courses, books, things like that. You could also be selling your services. You could be, you mm. could be, you know, hey, uh, 
Um, you want some, you want some co consultation on how to turn into, how to become more plant-based? We do that 50 bucks right. an hour. We have specialists. You see how many businesses can build up off crazy, sexy vegan. Right. And a lot of people listening right now, they're like, oh, Alex, this sounds really far-fetched, man. Like who, who in their right mind has done this? I've got three examples in my book of full case studies who did this in the exact space I'm talking about. Right. With well, documentary. It and, 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 it's, and they've made multi-million dollar. I mean, these, uh, this, one, this one company has a national magazine, online courses, food product lines. Are you kidding me? It right. just exploded. It's one movie, by the way. That, there's, two, there's three cases, and one of them is one movie. And the other two is like two or three movies. And right. they're both all within the space. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So this is the future without question. And I, will, I would love to debate anybody about this because I, I already had a conversation with some filmmakers that were like, well, I don't want to do an online business. I'm like, don't. I just want to be an artist. Then be an artist, but understand that your canvas is really expensive. Right. You can't just go out and buy a, a canvas for five bucks and a paint. You can't just grab a guitar and play and write a song. That is not the way you have chosen to express yourself as an artist. You have chosen a very expensive and that one of the most expensive art forms on the planet. So you have to be responsible physically as a business person to be able to play in that sandbox. Unless you're independently wealthy, then God bless, make as many art films as you want. Right. But there's no reason why an artist can't make an art film and still make money. There's no reason why. Right. There's another example in the book where it's, it, I talk about the regional cinema model, which is about creating movies, not for a niche audience, but for a niche area yep. of a city, of a town. And if you make it for a smart enough, money, a smart enough dollar, all of a sudden you make a movie for 5,000 bucks, can you make 30 or 40,000 off that? In, in your own area with a theatrical run plus ancillary products and other things? Sure, yeah. you can. Are you gonna get rich off that? No, but it's part of the long game. It's part of a revenue stream. You start putting two, three, four, five of those in a row, all of a sudden you've got a business. In four or five years, you've got a business and you can start building off of that. And then you could be as artistic as you want. Right now, the originator, I feel, of the film entrepreneur method is George Lucas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Who created this method of, hey guys, the money's in the lunchboxes. Right. He was doing this before anyone else and he, was, he opened the door and they shut it right after, after he walked through it. Right. Nobody in Hollywood will ever allow anything like that to happen again. But he was able to do, he's able to build all of this stuff he was able to do during his years doing Star Wars. He he made some some films that were personal to him, like Tucker, Radio Land Murders, Howard the Duck, right. um, the and other films. Fantastic. Um, I mean, there's duck on duck action in that movie. I mean, there is. Um, so <laughs> Whenever I'm in that type of mood on on evenings, I go to Howard the Duck. I mean, come on, why wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> you know, he made other films that were important to him. Why was he able to do that? because he had the business behind him of Star Wars. Right. Because he had all of that. I mean, he was making, I, I, in my book, I actually did the numbers. Star Wars has raised, Star Wars merchandise and the Star Wars brand has generated $45 billion in the course of its lifetime. Man. And generates off, his, off of products alone, 
1.5 billion a year. Wow. So it was a God. it was a pretty good purchase for Disney. It yeah. really was a pretty good purchase for Disney. But my point is that now he's like, yeah, I'm just going to go make personal films that probably no one's ever going to see. Right. Yeah. You're able to become the artist you want when you understand the business and take the business seriously. And I know that's counterproductive for a lot of artists out there, but I hate to tell you, if you don't understand the business, there is no show. Right. There's just no show. You want to play with bigger, you want to play in a bigger sandbox with a bigger camera, bigger crews, bigger talent. You need money. And if you don't know how to make money or build a sustainable business, you will not be able to move forward. You will not be able, and you'll be pissed off and angry. And you'll right. become that bitter, angry filmmaker that we all know. And like I've said multiple times, if you don't know a bitter and angry filmmaker, you are the bitter and angry filmmaker. Yeah, right. And, right. I mean, I mean, straight up, I was the angry and bitter filmmaker. Oh my God, I was angry and bitter. Are you kidding me? I was in an edit room where I see a 23-year-old with a $3 million budget in this film. And he's like, yeah, you know, I just went out and got this movie, man. Just fell in my lap. I'm like, you know what, man? F you, brother. You know, <laughs> like, I've been fucked my home for 20 years and you just get this gift handed to you. That was my, that was my old way of looking at things. Right. Now, now I'm coaching, man. I talk to people. I, I interview people who are much, much more successful than me on a daily basis, much more. And I hope I, I'm, I celebrate them right. because they were able to go where they needed to go and they built whatever they built by themselves or with help from teams or whatever, but they're doing it. Right. And I'm on my path, they're on their path. And at the end of the day, you're only in a race with yourself. You have to have an infinite game plan. You can't have a finite game plan, which is I have to beat you. Like right, I'm never right. gonna beat you and you're never gonna beat me in whatever ridiculous game that we say that we're playing. Right. You know? so, so you have to think of long-term. So with this, what is your, how do you feel about the way that this is kind of the future. Do you pine for back in the day when yeah. mid-range budgets were getting made or whatnot? Or are, is it more exciting to you that the film entrepreneur uh, methodology is the future? I, I don't pine for those olden days because I would have never had access to those olden days. Mm, okay. You understand? Like I, you know, you and I would not get a $50 million budget. Right. We just wouldn't. We wouldn't get a $20 million budget. It's just that's something that we would have access to. But, we, but you couldn't make a $5,000 movie back right. then. You couldn't make a $3,000 movie because the technology wasn't around. And even when the technology started to come around, you couldn't distribute that. You couldn't make money with it. It would be too difficult. It would be too rough. And now the opportunities are endless. With that said, do you understand the whole blue ocean, red ocean um, uh, strategy? No. All right, there's a book called Blue Ocean Strategy. And I talk about it in Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. And in this strategy, it's a business strategy, and it's really wonderful. Uh, the concept is this. Uh, let's say that I'm going to go fishing. And I'm going to go fishing in the ocean where uh, we know all the fish are. And uh, fishing is fairly easy there because there's just a ton of fish. Right. But unfortunately, everybody else knows that the fish are there too. So there's so much competition for those same fish. There's a lot of blood in the water, hence a red ocean. Mm, okay. Then I'm going to go to this other area where nobody's really fished before, but I hear that there's some fish there. Now, there's probably less fish in that area and uh, there's definitely less competition. So I put my hooks down and I'm able to get fish for myself, for my family, for my village, and I could put food on the table. Right. Am I gonna get rich over there? Possibly, I might find a treasure trove of fish that nobody's ever seen before. Right. That's happened a lot. 
Apple is the king of that with the iPod, with the iPhone, with the iPad, right? With, the, yeah. with everything that all these products they created, they were in blue oceans. And sometimes they were in red oceans, but they just said, I would just shift this a little bit. Right. So that's how, that's how you have to look at your film because everyone's aiming at the wide audience, which is the red ocean. I'm going to make a horror movie. Well, a horror movie, that's too broad, man. Right. And you're like, I'm going to make an 80s slasher horror movie. I'm going to make a ghost story. I'm going to make a torture porn movie. I'm going to, you know, those, that's a niche. Right. You're niching down, you're doing sub niches. Now you can target those people. You can go after that audience. It's something that you personally have the ability to go target through Facebook ads or Google ads or something along those lines. Mm. So that is, I feel that I'm super excited about the future. There is more than ever opportunities for filmmakers, but like every other big tectonic shift that happens in our industry, with all of this new technology, with all these new opportunities, there is an immense amount of people that, came, that are coming into this business that arguably don't have any business in it. It right. happened to me when uh, I was an editor starting up. In the 90s, it was Avid. You had to get an Avid certification. Everybody edited on Avid. That's just the way it was. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't own an Avid because an Avid would cost you, I don't know, $100,000. Right. So that was a little bit out of the range of the normal freelance editor. Then all of a sudden, this hoodlum came in called Final Cut. Right. And Final, Final Cut came in and disrupted the entire business. And slowly but surely, everybody went over to Final Cut Pro. Yeah. And hey, all of a sudden, I was able to open up my own post house because Final Cut Pro only cost about four or five grand. Right. You know, so I still remember I was, in, I was in a facility. I was renting a room. In the other room, there was another editor who had just purchased a $70,000 Avid. And I had just purchased a Final Cut Pro system that I built myself for about four or five grand. Right. Within the first month, I was, I was done. I was in the black. Yeah, right. He was paying off, he was paying off that Avid by a year. Right. Wow. But with this new, this new, when Final Cut showed up, then everybody was an editor. Then ev so all of a sudden, where I was used to be making 50 to 75 bucks an hour as a freelance editor, I started to have to fight for $30, $40 an hour. Yeah. Because there was just so many more people in the pool. You know, so that's happening in independent film. Before, in the 80s, you just made a movie. If you could finish a 35 millimeter film and deliver it, it was sold. Right. Good, bad, and different, it didn't matter. It was sold. Toxic Avenger was sold in the 80s. In 1985, <laughs> Toxic Avenger, I love Lloyd. Lloyd's a, Lloyd's a friend of the show. But Toxic Avenger was, was sold. And right. it was done. It, and he's made millions off that damn movie, by the way. <laughs> but, but if a movie like that shows up today, does it get attention? No, it would not get the attention that would get. Could you sell that internationally like you did back then? No, it's not possible. It would be very difficult. He could with his, his infrastructure and what he's built with trauma. But generally speaking, if I was an independent filmmaker and I just came up with something called Toxic Avenger and I threw it out there, I might get a cult following. I might be able to make some money with it and blah, blah, blah. And there's other ways of making money with it. But would it, would it have the cultural impact? Would it be able to be sold as easily during, with the leg legacy uh, distribution model? Right. And it is now? No, it's not possible. Right. So filmmakers need to not only understand the film entrepreneur method, not only understand that whatever is happening right now will be different in six months. That's, yeah. that's just, that is just the way our business is going. Yeah. It is changing so rapidly. It used to change extremely slow. Remember VHS? Yeah. yeah we had that for three or four years and then people started to jump on it. Then DVD, 
than Blu-ray. Remember the Blu-ray HD DVD? Oh, yeah, HD, I that whole that whole little war that happened, you know, beta VHS, all that stuff. Right. It was slower. Now, every month there's something different. Everything there's something new all the time. Right. You know, before transactional video on demand was a place that independent filmmakers could actually make money. Right. That's gone. That window closed. It really filmmakers, unless you have unless you're able to drive traffic to iTunes or to Amazon for rentals and you have a big enough audience, you've done a lot of the things I talk about. If you're able to do that, then yeah, maybe you can still make some money on transactional. But that is that is a, a fad that is going away. That is a, a trend that is going away where people are making money now on on uh, video on demand is a subscription video on demand and specifically AVOD, advertise mm-hmm. video, advertising video on demand. Those are the places where people are making money. When I released my first film, uh, This Is Meg, a few years ago, I made a lot of money on transactional. Right. I, if I release that movie today, it won't. It just won't. Even if I could drive a lot, it just won't. So transactional is, is going away. But you see, but that's the point. So that was less than two years ago. Right. Oh, my God. And that, it's two, two years ago. And now all of a sudden, but there's so many filmmakers who are still stuck with that mentality that they're like, I got to go on iTunes. I'm like, no, you don't. That's a, that's a, a vanity platform at this point. Unless things change in the new year, which possibly could with Apple TV. And Apple TV Plus, Apple might change the way they do business and pump a lot of marketing into it and really embrace the independent filmmaker and blah, 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 blah. Things could change again. As of this recording, T-Bot is dead for independent filmmakers. And I can say that very comfortably. Is there exceptions? Yes. But generally speaking, if you've got a $50,000 movie, unless you can drive traffic and really understand your audience, you're not going to make money in T-Bot. It's just not going to happen. They're not going to be found magically on those platforms anymore. The money right. is SVOD, AVOD in the video demand, but there's other ways to make money as well. As you can see, I'm very passionate about this and I can talk about this. Well, well you're super knowledgeable to the point that we're going to have to have you on for another like four episodes, I think, to break a lot of this down. Absolutely. Anytime you want, sir. So uh, <laughs> in the last couple minutes, because I know you got to go because you have to record your own podcast. What are you excited about for you in the next six months to a year? Are there films that you're working on that you're excited for people to know about? Is there things with the Indie Film uh, Hustle podcast? Is it the Film Entrepreneur book that's coming out? What are you excited about, Alex? All right, get get ready. All right, here we go. All right. Um, I got, I've got a handful of things coming out. And okay. A handful of things I'm doing I'm very excited about. One, the closest thing is going to be the Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to, make your, uh, how to turn your movie into a money-making business book that is available for pre-order on uh, Amazon right now at filmbizbook.com, uh, okay. filmbizbook.com. That I think is going to be a huge, I think that is, it's already, already hit number one. Uh, so wow. it already became a bestseller in pre-sales because I feel that I've touched the nerve. Yeah. And uh, people really, really want to understand how to make money with their movies because yeah. there's so, all the information that they've been told is changing so rapidly. And a lot of it's so obsolete that filmmakers bet the farm on this stupid information right and this outdated information that i wanted to put something out there that really can help filmmakers think differently about their about how to make movies so i hope that this book really starts a revolution in the in the independent film space i really really do yeah. uh the next thing that i have going on um any film hustle tv uh which is my streaming service for independent filmmakers and screenwriters and content creators which is netflix for filmmakers and screenwriters that's going to be, uh, I'm adding a ton of new courses, uh, content, interviews, movies, all sorts of things that are going to be there. And that's at IndieFilmHustle.tv. 
And uh, there might be a Black Friday situation. Uh, just keep an eye out. There might be a Black oh, okay. Friday situation coming out for that. And, uh, and then my movie that I shot, which was uh, called On the Corner of Ego and Desire, shot that uh, a year ago at, uh, at the Sundance Film Festival, which is a, filmmake, it's a, film, festival, a, film, a film about filmmakers trying to sell their movie at the Sundance Film Festival. And I shot it. I shot it at the Sundance Film Festival, completely guerrilla, uh, without any permits or permission, wow. and uh, shot the whole thing in four days. Wow. And uh, it's already got distribution. It premiered at the Raindance Film Festival over in England. And uh, it is as perfect of a film for my audience as I could have created. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's, I, I, if, I'm, if I literally went into a lab to try to create a, a narrative feature film, that is specifically designed for my audience, I couldn't have done a better job. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, as I just said it to you, you're like, I need to see it. Yeah, um, no, I totally need to watch it now. Yeah, I think every filmmaker who listens to that, I'm like, I, I gotta see how this guy, first of all, how this guy did it in four days. Secondly, I just want to see a film that's making fun of independent filmmakers with a lot of love about right. how ridiculous we are. It's kind of like Spinal Tap or uh, Waiting for Guffman meets, you know, uh, you know meets uh, The Player. Right, so, right. So it's, it's like a lot of inside jokes for the film industry, a lot of ridiculousnesses, the things that I did, things I've heard about. Um, it's a ridiculous uh, movie in that sense. Uh, and at the Sundance Film Festival. So if you've never been to the Sundance Film Festival, you'll understand what it's like to be at the Sundance Film Festival after right. this, with a full-blown Sundance party and all. You can live so through it. You can live vicariously through the film. So that film is going to be released in January, oddly enough, around the time of Sundance. Um, as well, so that's at uh, Ego and uh, Ego. Uh, I think it's Ego and Film, uh, Ego and Desire Film dot com, okay. uh, or just at Film Hustle is there. But that will be available on Amazon, iTunes, and of course on IFH TV on Indie Film Hustle TV. And you'll get a bonus on Indie Film Hustle TV because I'm going to do a audio commentary. I'm going to have behind the scenes. All that stuff is going to be on there. And my first film is available on there as well. That movie, the first movie was made for five grand. Second movie was made for about three grand. And then um, I will be doing something big with Bulletproof Screenwriting. Okay. That's going to be coming up maybe late this year or early next year. I'm going to be creating a whole bunch of new stuff for a Bulletproof Screenwriting. So if you're into screenwriting and want to understand more about the business of screenwriting, I'm going to be, do I'm going to be diving deeply into that. And in the new year, I'm going to be doing a boot camp or workshop uh, based around uh, making, making a micro-budget film. And then also I'm planning on doing something about uh, the film entrepreneur method, like how to, you know, if you have a movie or want to make a movie, come into my workshop and I will teach you everything that you need to know about the process of making money with your film and how to create multiple revenue streams, how to sell your services and so on. Uh, and a real quick example of just how you sell your services. When I made my, my first short film in 2005 called Broken, uh, I made it for 8,000 bucks. I made over $100,000 with it selling DVDs. Uh, about how, the making of it and all that kind of stuff. And that's a longer conversation we could get into later. But one of the ancillaries of that, that movie uh, was that I started getting called by filmmakers about how I was able to do 100 visual effects shots and color grade a mini DV movie and edited in Final Cut and did yeah. visual effects with Jake, how I was able to do that. And they started hiring me. So all of a sudden, I built a post-production company on the back of a short film because I was catering to independent filmmakers. Right, right. And that, and so just off that eight thousand dollar investment, I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars in the course of the last ten years, off of that business. 
but it started because of an $8,000 investment in a short film. And wow. that is something that people don't think about. They think about, oh, it's just a product. No, you can sell your services. Right. You can sell consulting. You can sell, are you a good online marketer? Set yourself up, build a business around it. Are you an editor? Sell yourself as an editing, sell yourself production. So all these things, people don't think about that as part of what a film can do for them. I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars that put food on the table for my family. Right. Off of $8,000 for film because I was thinking about my movie differently. And yeah. by the way, it wasn't something I planned. I found it. I was like, oh, well, you adjust, you pivot. You, right. you know, things start coming at you. You start thinking like a film entrepreneur and you go, okay, well, if this is the, if the, if the audience is out there for it, my customers are there for it, why don't I build a post-production company and focus it on independent filmmaking? In Florida, no less. Yeah. In, right. In, yeah. In, in South Florida, it's not like, oh, he's in LA. Dude, I've been out here for 11 years. Yeah. Most oh, of wow. my career, most of my career, I was in South Florida, which is not the mecca of Hollywood. Yeah. And, and at this point does not do a tremendous amount of production. They do a lot of production, don't get me wrong, because it's Miami and stuff, but it's not like Georgia. It's yeah, not right. like New York. It's definitely not like LA. You know, it's not a place where you can make a living easily in this space. Yeah, so, for sure. That's that. And uh, I could talk for hours about other things I'm excited about, but uh, that's, that, 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 that covers it. And of course, anybody who's interested, I've got three podcasts going on right now. Indie Film Hustle podcast, uh, the Bulletproof Screenwriting podcast, and the Film Entrepreneur podcast. And you can find all of the podcasts at IndieFilmHustle.com, which is the main hub of yeah. everything. And finally, if I'm going to just completely be a film entrepreneur about all this, I also consult. I also speak. <laughs> Uh, I also do all of that kind of stuff as well. So I, I consult uh, filmmakers about distribution, post-production workflow. Um, I coach filmmakers just generally through like, for lack of a better term, life coaching, but filmmaking coaching about right, how they right. can break their own problems, all that kind of stuff. And all of that information is at my main website, which is alexferrari.com. Okay. Well, Alex, um, all of what you just talked about, we're going to put show notes or we're going to put links in the show notes so that people can access all of that. Um, and they can just go directly to you. Um, but I also wanted to say thank you for coming on the podcast first, but in yeah. a bigger sense, thank you for creating Indie Film Hustle because it is, I go to it basically every day and there's always something new guys to read about. There's always great information, mind blowing information a lot of the time. And I can't recommend Indie Film Hustle enough. So Alex, thank you for taking the time and coming on our little humble podcast. Um, no, at Hand Me Down Films because it's really great to have you. Dude, I'm all about it. And if you want me to have me back in the next few weeks, I'll be more than happy to come back. So you let me know, my friend. I will. You send me what you want to talk about, and I will have you on as much as you want. How about that? <laughs> I appreciate that, my friend. Thank <laughs> you so much. I'm glad I could be of service to, to you and your audience, brother. And and again, I, I'm, I just want to leave on this, man. You know, we all, as filmmakers, we get in our own way so much. Yeah. And we put obstacles in our own way and we talk ourselves out of stuff and we're like, and we have imposter syndrome where like, I'm not good enough or I don't think I can do this or all this kind of crap. The business is tough enough without you throwing more obstacles in front of yourself. Right. So you've got to change your mindset. You've got to think differently. And I truly believe that the film entrepreneur method helps you, empowers you in a way that I don't think there is anything else out there that does empower you, but to kind of think about like, uh, if, you know, if I don't make money on this movie, I've got other ways to make money with this movie. Right. And to think that way, man, is empowering because you're not, uh, the way I look at it is like going to a casino. 
instead mm -hmm. of pulling once on that slot machine, you might have 10 ways of pulling those slots, 15 ways of putting those slots. So you have more opportunity to hit the jackpot or at least to start just getting some money to come in. That's not determined on that one pull, that right. one chance. So just break, don't, don't beat yourselves up about it. Educate yourselves as much as you possibly can. Educate yourself every single day, read something new, listen to a podcast, read a book every single day and put more tools in your toolbox. And, and as I always say, keep on hustling, keep, keep that dream alive and keep on hustling all the time. And that is what I call an ending. Thank you, man. Thanks again for having me on. All right, Alex, take it easy. And guys, have a great week. Hey guys, just want to remind you that not only can you find the Full Frame Podcast on HMD's website, www.hmdfilms.com, but you can find us on Facebook and most importantly, you can find us on iTunes where we would really like if you could leave a review and subscribe. Thanks. Have a great week.